Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. St. Louis and I rise today in solidarity with the Palestinian people and in memory of our brother, Bassam Masri, a Ferguson activist who was with us on the front lines of our uprising for justice following the police murder of Michael Brown Jr. Bassam was a St. Louis Palestinian. Bassam also lived in Jerusalem, Palestine. Bassam was one of us. He showed up ready. As a Palestinian, he was ready to resist, to rebel, to rise up with us as our St. Louis community mourned Mike Brown Jr.'s state-sanctioned murder and as we demanded an end to the militarized police occupation of our communities. Palestinians know what state violence, militarized policing, and and occupation of their communities look like. And they've lived that reality of having to go through checkpoints while trying to live their lives. They know this reality and the reality of so much more. So when heavily militarized police forces showed up in Ferguson in 2014, Bassam and so many others of our St. Louis Palestinian community, our, our Palestinian siblings showed up too. I remember sitting in a circle on the grass near where Michael Brown Jr. was murdered. And I remember them describing to us what to do when militarized law enforcement shot us with rubber bullets. Mr. Speaker, as someone who has experienced war firsthand, I have deep understanding of the suffering that comes along with it. As a child, I lived through a violent civil war that destroyed my home, ripped my family apart from each other and killed many of my family and friends. I can still remember being just eight years old, hiding under the bed, hearing bombs go off outside my window and wondering if we were going to be hit next. It is trauma I will never, I will live with for the rest of my life. So I understand on a deeply human level the pain and the anguish families are feeling in Palestine and Israel at the moment. And the helplessness people feel here in the United States who have family in the region, including many of my constituents. And it is for this reason that I abhor violence. Whether rocket Rocket attacks or airstrikes, violence does nothing to make people more secure. It only furthers the interests of the powerful while costing lives, futures, and families. But we must speak out truthfully and forcefully about the seed of this conflict and about what is happening today. 
The truth is that this is not a conflict between two states. This is not a civil war. It is a conflict where one country, funded and supported by the United States government, continues an illegal military occupation over another group of people. This is not my description of it. This is the description of conservative Israeli leader Ariel Sharon, who in 2003 said, and I quote, to hold 3.5 million Palestinians under occupation, in my opinion, is a very bad thing for us and for them. It is an occupation, he said. You might not like this word, but it is really an occupation. To understand what is taking place at this moment, we must understand how it began. In 1948, 700,000 Palestinians were forcefully removed and uprooted from their homes in what has come to be known as the Nakba, or the catastrophe. 78% of their land was taken from them. Now consider that. 78% of their land was taken from them. Since then, 5.6 million Palestinians have been continually displaced from their homes in one of the largest and longest lasting refugee crises in human history. For decades, the United States, the United Nations, and many Israelis and Palestinians have pushed for a Palestinian state in which the Palestinians can enjoy the same rights afforded to their Israeli counterparts. But in the past several years, that hope has increasingly slipped away. The Israeli government and their far-right ethno-nationalist leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, has legally raised Palestinian ancestral homes, leveled entire neighborhoods. As we talk about our history, know that many of my neighbors in Detroit and beyond may not know what we mean by Nakba but they do understand to be killed, expelled from your home and land and stripped of your human rights. My ancestors and current family in Palestine deserve their history to be told without any obstruction or lies. They have a right to be able to explain to the world that they are still suffering from Nakba when the world watched with no intervention. The land confiscations, home demolitions, expulsions are just part of the painful journey of the Palestinian people. The dehumanization and feeling less than on your own homeland is traumatic and can be seen in Palestinian children being raised under this unmanageable, unimaginable condition. Get out of the way, I'm going to take off. Get out of the way, get out of the way. Get out of the way! 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 Ready? Mr. President, can I ask you a quick question on Israel before you drive away? No, you can't. Not unless you get in front of the car as I step on it. <laughs> I'm only teasing. Okay, here we go. You ready? Good answer. 
And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast, the 19th of May, year of our Lord. And that's a pretty fucked up intro with those anti, the Jihad Squad, the anti-Semites, and the President of the United States, and Antifa attacking people. Do you know what kind of news cycle it'd be if a bunch of Republicans got up and went for Al-Qaeda? Or ISIS, because that's what Hamas is. Do you know what the news cycle would be like if... President Trump said, yeah, get in front of the car and I'll hit you. Jesus Christ, Jim Acosta would be doing seven or eight spots. It's just never, it's unprecedented that the President of the United States would say he'd run us over with an electric car that cost $71,000. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Shoot. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Well, we'll get to it. We got a good show today. We're going to do Israel. Uh, gas crisis, uh, electric car shenanigans, because I've done some updated numbers, so it's still shenanigans. There's a lot of shenanigans going on, and just just a passel of stupidity, even a little bit of military. This was supposed to be a military show, but just got totally out of out of control. But I, 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 I can say it's summed up with Matt in Oregon. Thank you for finding this. This soundbite. Stop it's fucking insane. I mean, all of this is insane. I understand the media loves the left. I understand these things. But before I can even get into just the craziness, we just spent four years saying that Russia was the scourge, that our president of the United States was a Russian stooge, and he blocked a pipeline. That would help Russia. Because Russia's bad. And now Biden is removing the sanctions and allowing it. And the article's why the Biden administration is reportedly waiving sanctions. Is this good now? Jonathan Swan, President Biden, plans to waive sanctions on the Russian-owned company in charge of Nordic Stream 2 pipeline. I thought Russia was bad. I thought they were the end of the earth. The scourge. No media outrage. I I found this out from a conservative show as a, a passing comment. Four years. Four fucking years, pile! That's all we talked about was Russia. And then this article comes out, what Kamala Harris has learned about being vice president. In this article, from the Atlantic, with no outrage, she keeps an enemies list. An enemies list of reporters or people who challenge her. Doesn't that sound like Trump? Weren't we supposed to get rid of mean tweet? It's like I said, a friend an email this week, no reply, no whatsoever, and it was because I kept getting LinkedIn response. I don't use LinkedIn. LinkedIn got me a job once, and it was a fucking nightmare. So I never used it again, but I, I made an account really quick because of Scott Carl's passing to reach out to the guys I served with. So every day, probably not from this person, but LinkedIn just kept sending it to me, and then my inner thing, oh, I feel like a dick because I'm not... 
You know, when people, I had a policy in social media when I did social media that if you asked to be my friend, you were my friend. I, I, I'm still like a kid in, at the dance who nobody wants to dance with. So I just, I always say yes, yes. Well, I sent an email, hey, listen, I don't use this. And then I kind of go into a little bit of the politics. Nothing. Because I'm a, I'm a deplorable, I'm a seditionist who doesn't think January 6th is the worst thing ever because I watched the attacks all summer. And kind of doing a comparative research project. Not that bad, but okay. But these people, all these people who, you know, friends I lost and not for being mega, just for saying, you know, kind of hypocritical. No problem with a vice president with an enemies list and a president says he's going to run people. I don't give a fuck if it's a joke. You took every Trump word literal. Everything. There's a story now about him saying he didn't want fat or short secret service. Because, as WAPO said this week, Trump was right. The media is tanking. They need a foil. They don't have anybody and nobody wants to listen to them anymore because they know they're all lying. It's just, we're going to suck Biden's ass. So right up front, I mean, get the fuck out of here with Mr. Hopi Changey, oh, Unity, whatever the fuck, uh, Aquid, shut up. This is a CNN contributor, and I'm going to go through the worst of the worst of how what I've been saying on this little shitty show that, you know... Will never be viral, will never be the it thing. Apple will not feature feature this, even though it's been listed on Apple since 2016. You, you got to search for it, because they, they make sure this fucker doesn't get out there. These motherfuckers are anti-Semite. They use anti-Semitism and Jews as props when they can get back at Republicans, but the black base of the Liberal Party are beating the fuck out of cynics in New York. They're fine with it. And everybody says shit like this. There are so many tweets. But before I go into them, what's the difference with the media? saying the world will know less about what is happening in Gaza tomorrow because of what happened today. And Al Jazeera is going even further in a statement, Fred, saying they believe that was the purpose of this bombing. Quote, the aim of this heinous crime is to silence the media and to hide the untold carnage and suffering of the people of Gaza. Al Jazeera, of course, based in Qatar, taking a position there in some ways in sympathy or in solidarity with the people of Gaza and demanding that this crime in their world be investigated. Let me also show you, Fred, how journalism advocacy groups are reacting to this incredibly unusual move by the Israeli forces. Here is the uh, executive director of the Committee to Protect Journalists, Joel Simon, saying today, we demand that the Israeli government provide a detailed and documented justification uh, on this for this attack, given the possible violation of international humanitarian law. I think the obvious question that comes to mind is, what were the Israelis supposed to do if they are sure, if 
they had intelligence that can be vetted that Hamas was using these news bureaus as a shield, as a hiding place. What were the Israelis supposed to do? Uh, conversely, uh, you're going to hear a lot of calls, as you see from the community protect journalists, from people saying, show the evidence. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight with the deadliest 24 hours in the conflict between Israel and Hamas militants and the growing calls for the U.S. to intervene in what many fear is rapidly becoming a humanitarian crisis. As we come on the air, Israeli warplanes continue to pound Gaza, destroying the network of underground tunnels used by Hamas, reducing entire buildings to rubble and killing more than 200. Now, Hamas is not letting up its assault either, bombarding Israeli cities with rockets as sirens sound and residents run for cover. With the death toll on both sides mounting and many Palestinians in Gaza now without clean water or fuel, the White House says it is engaging in, quote, quiet, intensive diplomacy. But tonight, members of the president's own party say those efforts need to be much louder and are calling for the U.S. to help broker a peace. Mr. Biden has just spoken to the Israeli prime minister. And CBS's Ed O'Keefe will have more on that new information from the White House in just a moment. But first, CBS's Imtiaz Tayeb is going to lead off our coverage on the ground in Tel Aviv. Good evening, Imtiaz. Nora, good evening. We're entering week two of this crisis, and people inside Gaza have been telling us that Israel's bombings are unlike anything they've ever seen before, and neither side are showing any sign of letting up from their attacks. Israel says it's being surgical in its strikes, but driving through the Palestinian territory, and it looks anything but. Major infrastructure and homes reduced to rubble in an instant. As the increasingly bloody conflict with Hamas moves into its second week, the death toll keeps rising. At least 200 Palestinians have been killed, including more than 60 children. In the southern Israeli town of Ashdod, this house took a direct hit from a Hamas. And while Israel insisted that there were military targets in that building and that they destroyed it as humanely as possible, even warning people to evacuate beforehand, for the record, destroying a civilian residence sure seems like a war crime, regardless of whether you send a courtesy heads up text. Because they've been living under a suffocating blockade for 14 years. And in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories, Palestinians are essentially being governed by a form of apartheid. And if America really wants to help, it might want to seriously consider changing its long-held position here. Because for decades, the backbone of America's policy in the Middle East has been that America is an unwavering friend to Israel. Which is a great thing to try and be, but at the end of the day, I would hope that a real friend would tell me when I'm being an asshole. But we're going to begin with the fighting between Israel and Hamas one day after the Israelis targeted and demolished a building in Gaza housing international news organizations. Our chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel, is in Tel Aviv for us. And Richard, on Friday, you and I talked about this and you had said Hamas and, and the Israeli government were looking for an exit ramp. Why can't they find it? Well, I think still that both sides do seem to want to find a way that they can declare victory. Uh, they both have a lot of interest in doing that. Israel so far hasn't invaded the Gaza Strip, and it could have done that. So it is holding off, and instead it is just launching airstrikes, causing a lot of damage inside Gaza it is, as it is degrading the Hamas military infrastructure and destroying a lot of other buildings. Uh, 
If Israel were to roll in with its tanks, it would face intense uh, ground assaults, its soldiers could get kidnapped, there are booby traps, so there are a lot of reasons that Israel doesn't necessarily want to do that. Hamas doesn't want to see the region totally destroyed, doesn't want to see Gaza totally uh, obliterated, and right now it is, however, gaining a bit of support, and that's the problem here. These conflicts, once they start, tend to gain momentum. Uh, Palestinians in Gaza for the last several years have felt hopeless. Uh, they are imprisoned in the territory. The infrastructure is terrible. There's really no employment. We spoke to a, a woman in Gaza. She said, why bother? Why bother dreaming about the future? Why bother opening a business when just every couple of years, everything is going to be destroyed and the clocks will start up again? And that hopelessness is dangerous. Uh, but I do think, yes, both sides are looking for a way where they could say they, they achieved something and now let's, let's dial it back without having to destroy the region and put a, a lot of Israeli troops at risk. All right, but I am curious, how much influence does President Biden have over Abibi Netanyahu, who has certainly played his share of politics in this country, and how much influence do the Egyptians have over Hamas? Um, they're not... Neither side is particularly close to the other, uh, but they do have influence. Uh, that is the way that these conflicts have ended in the past, with the United States and Egypt and other countries uh, getting involved. So they, they don't have the kind of personal relationships. The, the U.S. is not even talking to Hamas. The U.S. reached out and spoke to Mahmoud Abbas, who has almost no influence over, over Hamas. And what's I bookend that with two shitheads. Uh, Tainer is reading an Al Jazeera communique, and if you hear it vibrate, I am really sorry. I have just really bad back problems. Um, God, I fucking tweaked it hard, even on Percocet, I'm just fucked. So, if you hear a humming, no, I'm not doing that CNN guy jerking off over here while I'm doing my podcast. Well, that doesn't really make sense with the vibrator, but whatever. You know what I'm saying sexually, trying to make a joke, and I fucked it all up. Tubin, there it is. <laughs> I wish I could rewind. Tubining, I just got to think, my back is garbage. Anyway, Al Jazeera cried when Baghdad fall. Do you understand that? That was what they did. That was a communique from Hamas read on CNN. And then you have Chuck Todd Oh, they did it on purpose, and we'll get to the AP. They did it on purpose. They purposely bombed it. Listen, if you sleep with crackheads, you're a crackhead. And when we already know that Israel is the only country in the world who does knock bombs, calls them, tells them, hey, we're going to bomb your shit. They knew... But this is the this is the narrative, you know. Israel was just sitting there going, "Fuck, man, I'm bored. What do you want to do? Let's kill some Palestinians." But you know, th there'd be no difference with these motherfuckers if Canada was lobbing shit on us. As long as it was South Dakota or North Dakota, they wouldn't fucking care. But if that fucking rocket landed in New York, they would want to kill the world, just like 9-11. Want to kill the world, because it affected them. The rest of the country, not so much, don't care. So this piece of shit says this shit. And remember, four years, if you voted for Trump, never Trumpers thought you were a Hitler. You were a Nazi. But it's just not, not this bag of dicks. I mean, look at all these 
fucking people. They have CNN articles, and I'm going to cover my face. Hail Hitler. The only reason I'm supporting Germany in the finals is Hitler was a German, and he did good with those Jews. That, that's, that's real. Matt Dornick, defending it. I've never been a CNN employee as a freelancer who's reporting to just some news gathering effort from Islamabad. In light of these abhorrent statements, you will not be working with CNN again for at least a couple of weeks until it passes. And then we'll bring him back because he thinks like we do. Because they all think like this. They have all got into the BDS. And once again, it's that exposure therapy. Over time, you start going to these campuses. You start hearing all this shit. Hey, it just becomes normal to say, fuck yous! Hitler's a good dude. He had a good idea over there. I'm not saying all of it was good, but I'm just saying maybe he was on to something because Palestinians and shit. I mean, other ones I didn't even get. Modi is Hitler reincarnated. That That's one of his tweets. The world today needs a Hitler. Yeah, it's all good. There's no outrage. Do you know what would happen if, let's say, a um, Joe Concha wrote an article saying maybe Bull uh, Bull Connor had some good ideas with uh, that busing shit or separate fucking. Um, Drinking fountains for colored people or Spanish people or insert aggrieved group people. Oh, wait a minute. We're doing that on college campuses and nobody has a problem with it. Oh, never mind. It's only if you're conservative you say it. I got it. Yeah. It, it, uh, Yashra Ali, horrifying tweets by CNN Freelance. CNN statement as a freelancer, he doesn't do that much. Aji Rose loses CNN job for expressing outrage over Israel atrocities. This is people getting upset. Everybody's upset about it. I can't believe this. Why would you do that? He's right. Hitler was good. Ah, yeah, it's just bad shit. This is a New York assemblyman showing Palestinian, and, the, and if you notice, there is no Israel. No, yeah, there's no big deal with that. It's all good. It's all good. Corey Bush, yeah, we're going to equate it to the same thing as cops. Because, you know, she's a fucking racist and she hates cops and shit. So that makes sense. No outrage. None of this draws outrage. None of it. Nobody cares. Omar or Tlaib, you, you heard it. She's a fucking anti-Semite like a motherfucker. Here's her other one. Let me blow this shit up. All I can hear is the children screaming. How about the Israeli children? Do, do you care about them? And then the 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 person that said some people did something on 9-11, the number one reason that liberalism is a fucking disease. She's the example. She was taken out of a UN camp, and now she's a congresswoman. But somehow in America, we're racist, and we keep motherfuckers down. Keep them all down. Israel airstrikes killing civilians in Gaza is an act of terrorism. Palestinians deserve protection. Unlike Israel missile defense programs. They went so far as to say 
They shouldn't have a dome. There should be a dome for the other people. And if we're financing the dome for Israel, which we probably had something to do with it, it's a contractor, we need to do one for Palestine. Everybody gets a dome. They're going to write that in now. Now it's going to be inside the um, Recovery Act. Everybody gets a dome. Except for you white folk in the South. You can still keep getting raped, raped, stabbed, robbed, carjacked. My town alone, four shootings this week. Four! They were all African American. They were all carjacking. But everything's good. It's all good. If you don't say it's good, you're a piece of shit. You know you're a piece of shit because you're fucking racist and shit. You fucking racist. God damn racist bigot motherfucker. This work of ours. Hamas is no more of a terrorist organization than the Israeli or U.S. government. Of killing civilians is the criteria and targeting of ethnic group buttresses the claim. The U.S.-Israel meet the same standard colonial anti-brown violence. Yeah. Yeah, that's a word salad of fuck. Yeah. Go fuck yourself! Who's this fucking... Tommy Vitor is the only person... And he's a bus driver for Obama. I mean, they 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 uh they they like this guy. He said no. Yeah no. Yeah no. Yeah no. And then Ben Rhodes comes in because he's an anti-Semite motherfucker who loves Israel. What does hitting that building achieve? And this is all about the fucking AP. This is the Wapo. Israel Iron Dome defense system protects Israel lives. It also perpetuates the Israeli conflict. Yeah, take it away. They shouldn't have it. Yeah, okay. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. So here's the AP thing. We are shocked. Yada, yada. We didn't know. I can't believe they did that. What the fuck? We have communicated directly to Israelis to ensure the safety and security of journalists and independent media. It's paramount, said Jen fucking Psaki. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure they are. Sure. Gotcha. MSNBC guest. Jewish supremacy caused Israeli-Gaza conflict. I'm not even reading it. It's so much garbage. It's just so much. New York Times, as we did the WAPO. As we lie in the darkness at night, I fear the worst and I fear the best. Translated, one, two, three, rights from Gaza. We come out of this alive. How will my children's psyche fare in the years to come, living in constant dread of the next attack? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, and then before, once again, we're going to get to the AP, but... The balls on Israel, man, they they are just the next level. And I'm sorry, you can hate them out there, but their military don't play. We play, they don't play. When we went into the mountains and fought up there with the fucking 300 motherfuckers, we put flyers, hey, get out of the valley because we're going to go kill you. We do the same stupid-ass shit. But on this time, Israel decided, hey, we're going to fake it. We're going to say we're starting our attack, but we're really not, because we're going to draw them motherfuckers out of their caves, and then we're going to bomb the living shit out of them, and they killed them a shit ton of them, which was fucking awesome. So, Israel 
strikes Gaza Home House leader, destroys the AP office. They were told they were going to be there. They they did a knock bomb. This is all a lie. This statement from AP, we're shocked and horrified. The million would target and destroy the building housing, AP's bureau, and other news organizations in Gaza. They have long known the location of our bureau, blah, 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 blah. They have these government, da, 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 da. The entire world, then why were you there? Why were you there? Why were you there? Why were you there? You had to know they were in the building. You had to know they were using you as a shield because that's what they've been doing all over the place. Vice. I mean, because there's just so much. I'm just trying to cliff note this shit in. This was Israel showing how many fucking rockets were being fired at them. This thing goes on forever, and it's just like this. They all got upset with it. This is an official account. This is gross, Mark Lamont. I'm an anti-Semite Hill, racist piece of fucking shit. Majorie Taylor Green, Majorama, whatever fuck her name is. She's spot on. They're the Jihad Squad. These people are bad. They're not good people. Opinion, there are no major, major, Majorie Taylor Greens in the Democratic Party. And the entire world goes... The squad. The squad. In fact, Joe Concha played this. So I'm going to play the squad, and then I'm going to play two more sound bites. One that sneaked on CNN that's actually, yeah, Israel's not that bad. And Netanyahu doing his own campaign to show, because our media is such garbage, that, yeah, no, we're not doing this. We're not doing anything wrong. I think the key thing here is what are we going to see from the Americans? What are we going to see from President Joe Biden? Are we going to hear a greater pressure on the Israelis, greater pressure on both sides here to calm things down? Will we hear more from the international community and more importantly, more from Joe Biden, from the president, about trying to pressure both sides, pressure the Israelis to stop the fighting and to stop the violence? Yeah, there's definitely a gulf in that rhetoric uh, between Netanyahu and Biden. Rob and Brianna was talking about the Biden administration. How would you describe President Biden's approach to the current conflict? Well, first of all, he doesn't have the kind of relationship with the prime minister of Israel that President Trump did. There's been tension and there's a sense that uh, he can't ask the Israelis to take dramatic action uh, with a great deal of effect. And let's talk about President Biden a little bit more here. Obviously, he doesn't, as you say, have the relationship with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, for better or for worse, uh, than than President Trump did. Biden also is getting pressure from his own party. The Democrats are split here in the United States as to what they want to see. And their support for Israel may not be quite the same as it once was. I think that's true. Uh, And I think what's striking is that Secretary of State Tony Blinken was en route to Denmark tomorrow, and he's going to Iceland beyond that. The Middle East is just not on the agenda of the Biden administration. 
That's a damn shame that our longtime ally, it has just always been an American policy to watch after and defend Israel. It's what we do. And he has to put out his own video because of the just rancor. I couldn't play the squad because it was just a Colbert. I, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. It, it. it was too much. This is just all too much. Which leads in, in, into my point. Portland violence. What would have imagined? Who would imagine there would be this much violence in Portland, Oregon? There was 339 shootings in the entire year of 2019. In 2020, that figure increased to 900. There was a machete attack. Uh, uh, Yolen M. Yokohama, 23-year-old black man, was the stepson of Pastor J. Baba. One of the days was that he he fucked fucking people up. Uh, it, here here's an Asian crime suspect. Here's Baltimore. Here's Biden supporting Talib and saying she's so smart. Pasaki, uh, the Trump administration, because you can always do this in Democratic you know administrations. You can blame everything for eight years, like Obama on Bush, and they'll be doing it for Trump. There was no peace deal. They didn't really do anything, and we're we're left holding the bag. After Trump secured a historic Mideast peace deal, Psaki says Biden's not following the same tactics. She also reminds us that Biden reinstated aid to Palestinians is being used to fund terror attacks on Israel. But nobody in the media has the balls to talk about it. I mean, why would we? Why would we? I mean, let's let's be honest. We 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 are coddling the dear unit, dear leader. We love him. There, there's no negative news. That's why you don't know about all this violence.
See, they're, they're okay with violence. The media, the left, the jihad squad. They're okay with violence when it's good for them, when it's against people they don't like. Or worse, people that don't agree with them. People that question them. I mean, that's been my problem with the Never Trumpers from day one. They will fucking lose their shit over January 6th, a terrible day. But they will ignore a whole four years of people getting beat. People were getting beat during Trump's campaign. And the media would show it and then lie to you and say, no, that was that was a Trumper starting it. When really it wasn't a Trumper. The lady getting egged at San Jose was the one that I just knew this was going to be an interesting time where we just lie to prove our ideals. So they don't see Hamas as violence. The left just sees ideologically imper people, and if they get fucking hit with the rocket, oh well, and you have no right to fight back. Why would you? Because we're doing it on our streets every day. We allow people to do all sorts of crimes, but they're woke. They get away with it, but 70-year-olds are still 23 hours a day in a fucking room in Washington for trespassing. And once again, not supporting them, terrible thing, but this is our dichotomy. If you're woke, you do what you want. If you're not woke, you get punished to the extreme levels, 70 years in jail. We don't give a fuck, but we're going to let 10,000 people that burned federal buildings and precincts and murdered people firebomb cops. Yeah, fuck that shit. Cops had to come. They're bigots. It was a black cop. Well, he's a bigot, too. It's all about power, and if anything shows us that, oh, Nelly. They didn't like this mass mandate stuff. Our country's experience with COVID-19 has not only upended our own lives, but it has uncovered a stark reality and failing of our own society. The unacceptable disparities in health experienced by minority groups, especially African-Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans. Many members of minority groups have a much greater risk of COVID-19, often because of the nature of the jobs that many of them have as essential workers in society. More importantly, when people of color get infected with SARS-CoV-2, they more likely will develop a severe consequence of the infection. And this is because minorities in general have a greater incidence and prevalence of underlying comorbid medical conditions including hypertension, chronic lung disease, diabetes, and obesity that lead to a multifold increase in hospitalizations and deaths from COVID-19 compared with the general population. Now, very few of these comorbidities have racial determinants, almost relate to the social determinants of health dating back to disadvantageous conditions that some people of color find themselves in from birth regarding the availability of an adequate diet, access to health care, and the undeniable effects of racism in our society. Let us... Right, well, there's an increasing number of lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, actually, who are trying to figure out if there was a, uh, any basis for the theory that the pandemic that we're all in 
was related to an accident at one of these Wuhan labs that were studying back coronaviruses. And part of that is to try to figure out what the relationships were between the Wuhan labs and the NIH and other American labs all over the country. And what's gain-of-function research, what that means is taking viruses from the wild and doing experiments that make them more dangerous. Now, what Dr. Fauci said very clearly is that what he, he doesn't think that the work that they were sponsoring in Wuhan qualifies as gain-of-function research. And what Rand Paul was saying is that he thinks it does and other scientists think it does. So if you take away the semantic debate, really, over what is gain-of-function or what is not gain-of-function, what's left is that the Senate and, and, again, both parties are trying to look into the relationships between NIH and Dr. Fauci and these Wuhan labs, which Fauci admits exists, and we're getting caught up in this politics over gain-of-function research and what's not gain-of-function research. Uh, but the bottom line is that there are relationships there, and there's increasing calls for Fauci to disclose more information about them. Okay, that's interesting, Josh. And, of course, you're steeped in this. You have been reporting on this for a year. So that sounded to the rest of us like a kind of a wonky detour. But is there something sure. that Dr. Fauci or NIH is not being forthcoming about? They believe they have this turning point. So you're the president of the United States, and you have watched this during the Trump age where, yes, you had a different president, a different team, I would say inattention or ignorance uh, to the threat of the pandemic, but you still have to be worried, even as you tell Americans, and even as he and the vice president walked in on the White House grounds yesterday without masks, you have to be worried at this delicate moment, don't you? Very worried, especially given how incredibly cautious uh, this president and his team have been. Uh, not only with how they are communicating all of these guidelines up until now, but even how they act, you know, personally. We know, we've watched the president uh, be in situations like when he addressed Congress, where he was in a place with um, largely vaccinated people, very careful to wear a mask. The vice president sitting behind him, very careful to wear a mask. And this is such a leap uh, in terms of, again, not just guidance, but also, uh, you know, m m monitoring and mentoring, if you will, uh, how uh, how people should be acting. And I feel like it's going to be a big change for them uh, and as it is for everybody in America. And it is, look, it's scary. It's because they allow everyone to go maskless together, and that's bad. Now, you can't complain about that out loud, of course. This is a pandemic, so you've got to keep your game face on and talk about public health. Instead, you're hearing people fret that allowing the vaccinated to go barefaced could be very dangerous. That's Liana Wen's position, Wen is the in-house doctor over on CNN. Before this job, she was the president of Planned Parenthood, an organization that causes more deaths in America every year than all forms of cancer combined. So say what you want about Liana Wen. She knows a lot about what kills people. And she is highly distressed by this new guidance. And I do really worry. Now we're going to be potentially going to grocery stores or other settings where they could be exposed. So if you're taking your kids to the grocery store or somewhere else, try to go at a time when there aren't a lot of people around. And if there are a lot of maskless people walking around, you suspect that some of them could actually be unvaccinated, maybe leave and come back later. If you're on airplanes, if you're on buses, if you're on public transportation, uh, wear the mask. You still are expected to yeah. wear the mask. And actually, for your own health, you should still wear the mask. I got to say, in the future, uh, I mean, I haven't gotten the flu in a year. Why, why am I going to start wearing a mask on, uh, stop wearing a mask on planes? That just right. makes good common sense. It's a good uh, idea. Need fewer studies and more punitive measures. Watch this public health expert on MSNBC today explain. 
for all of the companies in America who say they want a better society, and they say it all the time, the one thing they actually could do, which they have been unwilling to do thus far, is to actually mandate vaccination. It baffles me to this day, given the trillions of dollars that was pumped out directly to businesses to help them during the pandemic, that the one thing they've been unwilling to do thus far is to help themselves and to help society by mandating the vaccine. Good evening. Are you ready to lose the mask? In a turning point of the country's pandemic response, the head of the CDC announced late today new guidelines that allow the fully vaccinated to leave their masks off in most settings, outdoors and indoors. It's the news we have hoped for for over a year, and yet there are mixed reactions tonight. Americans wondering if they're ready to drop the virus defense the mask has provided, and if the decision was perhaps rushed, a response to building pressure from Congress and the public. The CDC's sudden change comes two days after a grilling on Capitol Hill over confusing restrictions. The American people have just lost, just lost patience with us. The agency faced pressure to ease mandates as new and Infections plummet. Now the nation taking a major step forward and about face over face masks for the vaccinated. Tonight, states like Washington, Oregon, and Michigan are still dealing with COVID hotspots. Hospitalizations there have also been an issue. In regions where COVID cases are still a problem, those face mask mandates may not go away anytime soon. I am very nervous that people, including my own patients, are going to be not only confused, but also feel like they should still wear masks because they don't know if they can trust the person next to them. Creating such a sharp distinction between the vaccinated and unvaccinated will also complicate rules for business owners. There is no easy way to prove the staff or the customers are fully vaccinated. Almost everywhere we go indoors, there's a requirement to wear masks. It has been one of the most contentious issues of this pandemic. There may now be an expectation that things will change, but rolling back these rules could end up being just as difficult as rolling them out. Well, Dr. Fauci, a lot of Americans put a lot of trust and faith in you. So my first question is really of a personal nature. Do you feel good about this mass decision today? Would you have preferred that you wait a bit longer? No, actually, Lester, I feel very good about it. And I'm very much in favor of it. But people who have been vaccinated now, they really do need to get the feel that we're approaching some form of normality. And one of the things that felt quite abnormal and different the way they'd like to feel is that outdoors you could understand the breeze of blowing and there's very little chance of anything happening. But indoors, it's still quite safe. If you're vaccinated, the data that's accumulated now about the real world effectiveness of a vaccine really makes the risk of getting infected extraordinarily low. And if you do get infected, the risk of getting any serious disease is even lower. This is good news. You say you will follow the CDC's guidance. What does that mean? Should people in Chicago wear masks or not? Well, I think we've got to get some clarification from the CDC. Um, the rollout, obviously, as the reporting has been, was a bit abrupt. Um, and I think they've got a lot of clarification that they need to do. Um, I know for me personally, I'm going to continue to wear a mask in public and I'm going to encourage others to do so. Um, we've got to make sure uh, that people are continuing to follow the public health guidance that has gotten us this far. And masks, I think, are a big and important part of that. To say, well, if you're, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. That's great. But what about all the other people that are out there that aren't vaccinated? And there's no way to know that. 
So I think for the time being, most people are going to continue to wear masks um, outside and outside of their homes. And I think that's smart. But when we're told follow the guidance, we don't know what the guidance is. What are you telling businesses in Chicago? I'm telling businesses a couple of things. One, get your employees vaccinated. And we are doing everything that we can to provide support to those businesses. We're actually holding a series of vaccination events in downtown businesses so that employees can get a vaccine in their workplace with people that they know and feel comfortable. And then that helps um, bring them uh, back to work. Um, We're also continuing to make sure uh, that we are social distancing, even as we open up. We've got good news happening here in Chicago, but by no means, whether it's Chicago or any place else in the country, are we out of the woods. Now to the pandemic and some confusion caused by the CDC's latest guidance on who should be wearing masks. ABC's Trevor Alt joins us with the latest. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning, Eva. Saturday afternoon was really the first time I could tell a distinct difference with this new mask guidance. Crowds of many maskless people packed together here in New York. It was something that would have been anxiety-inducing not too long ago. Instead, it was celebratory. However, with millions of people still not yet fully vaccinated, these new steps have created some new burdens. This morning from the streets of New Orleans, French Quarter. Welcome to New Orleans. To the Las Vegas Strip, more Americans taking the green light to scrap their masks. It's good to be on vacation, not to worry about wearing a mask. The CDC's new guidance saying the well over 100 million fully vaccinated Americans can stay maskless indoors and outdoors in almost any setting. But the change now forces businesses to make tough decisions as to who they'll allow to be maskless. Even though the government says turn the switch and and, okay, no masks, a lot of customers are still apprehensive about it. And our team members are too. Many likely relying on the honor system. That's going to be the issue, is if people are walking around without a mask, how do you know that that they're vaccinated? Some states might try to provide an answer. Oregon may soon require businesses to verify a customer's vaccination status before allowing them to go maskless. This could include seeing their vaccination card, a picture of their vaccination card, and checking that they truly have been fully vaccinated. Other states are working to avoid that. At least nine already banning so-called vaccine passports, with nine other governors and state officials saying they oppose them as well. Uh, So that more lives can be saved. Can I ask you, I want to also switch to COVID. Um, The largest national nurses union is saying that the CDC guidelines on masks is putting frontline workers and especially people of color at risk and that they're they're calling for the CDC to reverse that. What's the White House's stance on that union in particular saying that they're, they're members and people of color are at risk? Well, I would say we don't have any particular response to directly to the union. I will say that again, uh, the objective of the CDC. Remember, this is the vaccine that's not authorized for use in the United States yet. So we're going to be sending it to folks once the FDA has reviewed this and said it's safe. This is all the AstraZeneca vaccine produced in the United States. All of it will be sent to other countries. I'll just tell you at a personal level, I'm sorry for speaking of all that in such personal terms with, the, with 
Dr. Walensky, but when I was talking to people today about this new guidance and what to ask her, everybody had very personal feelings about it. And I realized I did too. And all these questions, part of it is that I feel like I'm going to have to rewire myself so that when I see somebody out in the world, who's not wearing a mask, I don't instantly think you are a threat (laughs) or you are selfish or you are a COVID denier and you definitely haven't been vaccinated. I mean, we're going to have to rewire the way that we look at each other because the CDC's guidance, which she just told me, we are sure, is that if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask, except in very specific circumstances. As we change that as a country, we are going to look at each other differently and have to unwire our preconceptions about what a mask or a lack of a mask means. President Biden spoke to that a little bit today, asking for people to, President Biden actually and Dr. Fauci both spoke to that today, asking for people to essentially be patient be compassionate, give people respect for whatever they decide on this front, because with these with this changing guidance, we're going to now have changing norms and we got to give each other space to have feelings about that um, as we go through what's going to be a big change that's going to create a lot of visceral, um, a lot of visceral reaction in a lot of us just in our day to day lives. Big day, big change. All right. So there's lots going on uh, in the news today. Obviously, this amazing milestone moment from the that is, as I said way too much last time, a lot to cover. I'm not going to say unpack. You had a 10-minute Tucker segment. You had Falky running his cock trap again, and basically just it, it just shows this guy is political. He's not a fucking scientist. You have all the CNN fucking sheep herders. You got that Lori Lightfoot, who now has made an edict, she won't do any interviews, but unless they're with black people, and that's kind of racist, but okay. You have that piece of shit who got promoted, who lied about Kung Flu from PBS that you and I pay her salaries, literally asking a question on mask, trying to make it about race, because we're going to say you don't have to be in mask, and you watch Rachel Maddow just give up the ghost. It has nothing to do with the science. It was never about science. I mean, if it was about science and not politics, we would have dumped the mask a long time ago. Because they, 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 Fauci himself said we weren't supposed to wear a mask because it was the noble lie, right? The noble lie. We need that PPE for those more important people, not you. If it wasn't political, when I got the phone calls to go get it three, four months ago, I would have got the shot. But I'm white, so I didn't. So the military left me at my house and then just said, hey, when you, if you feel like doing it, you just go here. Because you're not important. We're going to take care of equity. And before I go into all this stuff, President Biden with his edicts and this tweet right here would have been torn apart word by word on CNN for three days. His other one, where you're going to pay the price, that would have been threatening the American people. Who the fuck does he think he is? I want you to know something that a normal, a real media would tell us. But because Fauci didn't like Trump, they never dug into Fauci. Fauci was duplicitous on the AIDS epidemic too. Do you know that if you're older than 20 years old, that when you were a child, or 30 years old, probably 40, let me get my math right. I mean, math's racist, so who cares? 
Now that you look on the other side, and have you done any research on what the media does and how they act, you were never a threat of getting AIDS when it first broke out. AIDS was a gay illness that spread into the drug community from sharing needles with gay people. And then they found their one kid, and that one kid got a blood transfusion, and it was all over the news. The kid died, God rest his soul, and they scared the shit out of you, and they wanted more money, and they wanted everything. Well, Anthony Fauci was in that, and he is the nut job over at the CDC who told us that you could get it through common contact, which was a lie. So all of us had to get classes years later in school, in the media, the more you know shit about, you can't get it off a toothbrush. You'd have to swallow three gallons of spit to get enough blood particles to get AIDS. I remember that from biology class. When we taught biology, now we don't show anything about biology other than woke and indoctrination. And everything's racist. That came from Anthony Fauci. And if you think I'm full of shit, just do a Google search. He's the one that said it was airborne. It was simple contact. It was He was full of shit. He's always over-exaggerated. And the only reason you don't know that he set back the AIDS epidemic and made gay people treated like shit because people didn't want to be around him because they thought they'd get AIDS, like a common cold, is because he didn't like Trump. But then somebody, a liberal, did the research. I tip the hat. Did, <laughs> that was fucking weird. Um, he did the research. And they found out that was him. But this would be a dictator. Then we get all these people. So how does one tell the difference between a fully vaccinated person and a non-vaccinated, because they want your power. They want the power to be able to shame you. So, how does one, on the nose, said the same thing. I feel like just wearing a mask despite being fully vaccinated to avoid anti-vax liars. Do you see what they've done to people? If you're fully fucking vaccinated, next Wednesday, I get my second shot. Two weeks later, I got it on my phone, I think it's June 8th. Is it June 8th? Where's my calendar? Tony, no wearing mask. And the reason he's not going to wear a mask is because I will be fully vaccinated and I believe in science. I know personally, I got the first shot and I got sick. So I know it gave me an immune response. Because I've been bubble boy. I haven't been around anything. I've had a cold. I have nothing. And the only thing I will carry over is washing my hands. I dip. I used to get colds, the flu. I used to get a lot of shit because I put a dip in my mouth and I'm out in the public and I'm not washing my hands. But this is what they're saying. It goes back to that 64%. Don't want to go back to work. CNN medical analysts. Uh, when, which you heard briefly, new guidance has devolved into a giant mess. It was a major blunder to cede responsibility. Effectively, any mass mandate is just about science. It's a major policy decision that should have been made with the president himself. Newsweek, winter is coming. There's so many strains. We don't want to give up the power. 
We want this power. Here's another CNN analyst. The travel and event industry slowly and for starters for insinuating rules that will require vaccination, proof of vaccination with borders, no employment, no access for those who don't have it. We need to still focus in on access to vaccine, but this is good. Call it what you want, a passport, a forced vaccination. It doesn't matter, and it's happening. The masking changes will depend on verification. So lure the unvaccinated to a vaccinated site by burning them in all sorts of ways. This is much like how TSA pre-check works. Jill fucking piece of shit. Vaccine passports or QR codes now. If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your right. But it's not your right to go to a concert, bar, restaurant, or large event. Richard Gunnell. Imagine living in America and wanting to control people in the communist China-like way. Speak out now against vaccine tracking and permission to go into public. The CDC will let us walk out of our house without a mask. My God, do you hear yourself? I'm going to get to the point in a second. Keep wearing the mask. We card-carrying epidemiologists with formal doctrine in epidemiology. No, epidemiology. I sound like Biden now. Know what we're talking about. Vast majority of 700-plus epidemiologists surveyed say we should keep wearing the mask for a year or a year longer. When federal health officials said on Thursday that fully vaccinated Americans no longer needed to wear a mask in most places, it came as a surprise to many people in our public health. It's also a stark contrast to the views of the large majority of epidemiologists surveyed. Allison Camerata. She cried on air. I'm so scared. I can't get the tape. They wiped the fucking, wiped it. But then you start looking at all the shit these people have been saying. ABC. That's not the Daily Wire. Bars, gyms, restaurants. For just a few settings, health experts warn could become hotbeds with COVID. As states begin reopening. Yet public data analyzed by ABC News tells nada. Then we get into this. This is that girl. I'm not going to go in depth. You can get it on almost every conservative. She was fucking lying. Why is Twitter absolutely full of people in states with high COVID death rates obsessing over Florida, which is below average? Because one person, her name is Rebecca Jones. She's an extremely effective conspiracy theorist and a liberal. First, quick background. Uh, let me see if I have this on here so I don't have to look like a jackass. Drew Holden. Let's do it the right way. George Becca earned media fame after she was fired for purportedly refusing to fudge the numbers on COVID death cases in Florida. But as Cook explains, none of her story was or even could be true. She never had access to any data at all. She was on CNN a million fucking times. But that, of course, didn't stop mainstream outlets from rushing to report how bad, big, bad Governor DeSantis had punished his poor whistleblower supporting trying to do her job. That's at least how anyone would read the coverage from CNN, and you can see it right there because that's what they fucking did. In particular, Chris Cuomo, Cuomo Primetime, provided ample opportunities for this liar to push unfounded conspiracy theories without even a hint of credulity. Forget pushback. We will get an apology for the sloppy reporting now that we know Jones was lying. No, he lied. Why, why would we? Jones was freaking guests on MSDNC, too. They ran a similar play as CNN, let Joan tell her tale without even pretending to determine it's truthful. No, there's no one in her office or can confirm her story or that a damn judge upheld charges against her. Be damned. 
And it wouldn't be a lefty conspiracy theory if it wasn't endorsed full throated by Joanne Reed. Of course. I want to pause here to drive the point home. No one in any official capacity supported Joan's story. There was one random lawyer who resigned in protest and made a big news, but everyone, everyone involved disputed Joe's contentions and findings, as Cook Peace made clear. It boggles the mind, then, that the outlets would run with this narrative absent any evidence beyond that one unknown person had said about herself to create this narrative that just so happened to undermine a potential 2024 candidate. And yet, across outlet after outlet and mainstream media, we saw this same framing. Here's USA Today, again relying on a story that, if it were true, would be a huge deal told by a well-known fabulous with zero interrogation of the story, veracity, or anything. Because why would we? It goes on and on. She was a fucking liar. She's just how Chris Cuomo hitched himself to Rebecca Jones. Because they were making a point. Trump kills people. Texas reports zero deaths two months after Biden called its reopening plan Neanderthal. Where is the media coverage on that? The Biden administration and teachers union are mounting a campaign to return American children to classroom five days a week. Think about that. Really think about that. Anybody who's followed this shit knows it's a lie. They kept us from going. WAPO, the new mask guidance relies on an honor system. Do we trust each other to make it work? There was like a hundred stories from WAPO this week. New York Times, this story. He's going to double mask. They have scared him of vaccinations, Trump, the whole nine years. Whenever Joe Glickman heads out to grocery, he places an N95 mask over his face and tugs a cloth mask on top of it. He then pulls on a pair of goggles. He has used a safety protocol for the past 14 months. It did not change after he contracted the coronavirus last November. It didn't budge when earlier this month he became fully vaccinated. Even though President Biden said on Thursday fully vaccinated people are not to have to wear a mask, Mr. Glickman said he planned to stay the course. In fact, he said he plans to grocery run double mask and goggled for the next five years. But we have a huge problem with this information. March 3rd, 2021, Jennifer Rubin. Abbott is going to kill more Texans. None of it's true. None of it was ever true. None of it. They just used it because it got them elected. It's so easy just to say, hey, Trump killed 500,000 Americans, let alone 64 million people got uh, the uh, H1N1. We, We didn't give a fuck about that shit. We didn't blame him. We didn't say anything about it. Because why would we? I mean, it's Obama. It's home team. We stopped counting the deaths. Three months in, didn't care anymore. Fuck it. I'm just to the point that, and once again, if you believe in justice, you believe in an America 
that everybody's treated equally, including, and most importantly, our politicians. How can the media get away with this? Everything's a lie. It's all narrative. And then they scare people so bad to get elected. You got this guy. A, he got COVID. His immune system's going to fight. It doesn't even matter if it's a different strain. Then he got vaccinated on top of being infected, which means he's super duper stupid because I wouldn't do it. Ron Johnson from Wisconsin's out there getting school drug because he got it. And he talked to his doctor and his doctor said he shouldn't get the shots because he already has a natural immunity to it. And there is no testing on, well, if you had the COVID virus and then you get the COVID shot, what's it going to do to you? When now we're close to 4,000 people have died from the shot. Granted, probably people with other things. But remember, just a year ago, they were saying there's no way we're going to get it by April. There's no way I'm taking it because Donald Trump did it. Vice President, United States. And the president. And since we're just going to keep on gaslighting, literally, 15,000 gas stations out of gas. 90% of D.C. was out of gas. Zero media coverage. But we're going to go back in our way back machine. I remember when it was important. Then pain at the pump. Gas prices are going sky high. I paid $2.94 a gallon over the weekend to fill up a car. It's ridiculous. I had to take out a loan to fill up my minivan. <laughs> it's crazy. Listen to the scientists. I would listen to the scientists. Get the children back to school. We know schools are safe, but Biden and his CDC secretly worked with the teachers' unions to keep schools closed. Emails obtained by Americans for Public Trust. Sacrificing kids, keeping them out of school to pay back liberal dark money groups. Teachers' unions gave him a record amount of money. Science, no. With Biden, it's always about dark money. Mm. You ever hear the expression, all, all politics are local, Mr. Secretary? So you're the transportation secretary now. So we're proposing a, a usage for the term infrastructure that Republicans would say includes every wish list from the Democratic Party going back 50 years. As a transportation secretary, don't do you now, and be honest with me, do you now just wish that we'd look directly at what your domain is. Roads, bridges, airports, throw in, you know, some uh, internet and, and Wi-Fi. Let's do seven, eight hundred billion. Do it with Republicans. Get it done. Give me my infrastructure, transportation, my, and, and, and do not try to do everything at once. Tell me that you believe that, but I know you won't. <laughs> I mean, look, as, as the org chart goes, I'm, I'm the roads and bridges guy, right? The transportation part is the piece that I work on. But when I think about why roads and bridges matter, the, the, the fundamental reason they matter is they make it possible for Americans to live lives of their choosing, right? Whether there's a good road to get you where you're going is going to help determine whether you can go to school, whether you can go to work, whether you can see your family. And I think the same thing is also true of the other forms, the broader forms of infrastructure we're talking about. They're all part of the foundation 
that make it possible for us to live well. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in a semantic or philosophical argument uh, over but, what to call something if it's a good policy. Right? Oh, I mean, the, uh, you're Mr. describing Secret- these as democratic items, but these are things the American people want. No, Mr. These, these Secretary, really, I just, I, you, might, you might as well just tell me, you know, you need those roads to drive to free college and free child care, and therefore I want to build them <laughs> so that, I mean, come on. Come on. Well, no, you know, I mean, I think all this fits together because, look, you, you, can, you can either organize your thinking around the org chart of the federal government or you can organize it around what the lives you, of human beings in this can, country are Then you are can make like. that jump to everything under the sun is infrastructure. We should spend $100 trillion and give everything to everyone because that's what their life is. You, you, you can't do We don't have the money. We don't. I mean, at the same time that all this is happening, domestically here in the United States, you have these really... I think searing visuals, if you're of a certain age, particularly brings you back to I mean, I think Republicans would love to bring people back to the Carter years. But these gas lines, it's a psychological problem. Maybe it's temporary, but but for the for the American public, uh, there is something psychological about hearing about inflation and seeing gas lines and literally going to the pump in certain southern states and not being able to get gas. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons you had the executive order last week dealing with cybersecurity, because obviously this was a breach, and that is one of the reasons this problem started. But, you know, every time there's a Democratic president, there are, in, in, without this other this current crisis uh, going on with gas, gas prices becomes an issue in the summertime. It is You can set your watch by it. Right, right. Um, whether this actually hurts them politically in the long run, I, I don't think we know the answer to that question yet. I think resolving this quickly, which which what the Biden administration is trying to do right now, is probably um, a good idea and a way to mitigate some of that, some of the, the fallout. But um, what the long term effect of this, um, I think that remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, you heard the CNN person. They're in D.C. They know there's gas shortages. They know regardless of how it started. They would be blaming Trump regardless who hacked it, especially since it was China. It would be huge news. You know it. Never Trumpers would be jerking off two-handed to WAPO and New York Times order uh, articles about how horrible fucking Trump is. Butt leg. Now PACs are making videos. And it started with this. Uh, back in 2005 and six, liberal news and cable journalists hiked up their tax on Bush and big oil greed. ABC devotes 16 minutes to Afghanistan exit, 16 seconds to Biden's decision. Colonial Pipeline reports this morning that the restart of the pipeline went well overnight. This means things will return to normal by the end of the week. We'll keep you posted. Gronholm, scoop. Colonial Pipeline paid hackers nearly $5 million. And Wednesday, media outlets, including the Washington Post and Reuters, reported that the company had no media intention of paying it because they didn't want to make it look bad for dear leader. AP. Let me see if I have that before I go into my shit. I don't have it. That sucks. Sorry. I thought I had it. I don't. Mm. Let's do these ones. This is on Twitter during the week. This was there. Where we were on gas stations. I mean, every time I've left the house, I fill up because they're starting to deplete. So I just fill back up. We went to uh, Cookville yesterday. 
Um, you know, a car, even though it's not good enough for liberals now, it gets like 40 miles to gallon, as long as I don't drive it in sport mode. And I had a half tank, but I filled it back up. The Jeep, I went out last week rock hunting and fishing with the wife, and we filled it up when we came back. We're not hoarding. We're just filling it up because we don't know. But they know. But they're not going to report it because it wouldn't make him look bad. Here's Wolf Blitzer in D.C. But then you heard those comments. Oh, in the South. Seizing, stirring, pouncing. Conservatives are stirring and pouncing. And White House economic advisor Cecilia Rouse blames the bad April jobs report on Easter being in March. If you were drilling down on that report, you know that the reference week was the week of April 12th. That was a week before all adults became eligible for the, you know, for vaccination. That was a week before. And then we know it takes five to six weeks for people to become, if they get the Pfizer or Moderna, become fully vaccinated. Um, it was also, um, it was, you know, in getting into the details, um, it was, I think Easter happened in March this year. Uh, the seasonal adjustments are a little funny. They fucking hate you. Just know it. They fucking hate you. They hate their fucking, they hate your religion. They hate everything. It's long past time Congress passes the U.S. citizens. Oh, we're going to wait on this. Let's go back. I'm fucking up by the numbers. Let's just flip through. We're going to get to that picture in just a fucking second. Because this shit, my freaking Lord. So let's get into what the media is not talking to you about. They're talking about the future and forward and him yelling. I listened to that speech because we flipped, we got sick of music, or my wife got sick of music. And so we flipped through and we're listening to uh, Fox News. She goes to Fox News and we're listening to it on Sirius. And long story short, he is yelling. He is just going into weird-ass stories that I know the media love because he's a retail politician but didn't make any kind of sense to me. And I was like, where the fuck are we at? What the fuck are we talking about? What the hell is happening here? And they're talking afterwards after he says um, how important it is for us to lead the green energy. Now... There is a Chinese firm that literally uses slave labor that makes and sells more Teslas than Tesla does, which is the leading manufacturer of electric cars in America. But these stats are all factual. They came from liberal news sites. I made sure I did it, especially the bottom one. 61,000 gas stations as of 2020 in the United States. There are 276 million cars. And let me blow it up because this is good fodder for your friend that wants to talk to you about electric cars. 296,000 electric cars. Now, he keeps saying in his speech 50K charging stations, but it's actually 500K. Do the math on that. Why? Average cost of a gas car is 36699 That is from the New York Times. On average, they're $19,000 less than electric. 
An average electric car is 55600 The one Biden was in was $71,000 truck that nobody wants, except for the federal government. And 20% of electric car owners go back to gas. That's in, I'm sorry, California. Granola chewer capital of the world. They don't even stick with it. But they're still pushing. They want this. No, they don't. They want the subsidies. It's business. It's business. That's all it is. They get a lot of money and they get federal contractors or contracts to make these cars that they're saying are going to get 300 miles to the charge for that truck. They don't say if it's got a load or not, if it's towing or not, but it still comes back to the simple reality the market dictates. If people think they're cool, they're going to buy them if it's economical for them. But when you break down making the lithium batteries, coal, electricity, and most of the country, without whether you use scrubbers or not, most of the country's on coal because liberals don't like nuclear. The production and the use of that is worse than the fucking EPA standards we already have on the cars. We've already lowered emissions incredibly. We made goals that were long-term goals for Obama already. People are not going to go out unless you punish them, mandate them, and say they can't drive a car like California is going to do. They're not going to do this. The average American who can't find gas right now, and when he does, it's three dollars a gallon or three twenty now. National average is three twenty a gallon, thanks to Biden Co. They don't have fifty-five thousand dollars. They don't drive a fifty-five thousand dollar car right now. I don't drive a fifty-five thousand dollar car. My Jeep, which was totally pimped out with lift. Winch, fancy fucking 22-inch rim fucking Moto Madness shit, and Nitto tires cost 48k. My wife's, which was super pimped, a Sahara with Alpine stereo and everything on it. It was fitty. My, the best car I've ever owned is a fucking Chrysler 300 out in the fucking parking lot that gets 40 miles a gallon. I only paid 38 grand for that shit. Below, or was it below? Average cost of gas, car. Nah, it was just slightly above the average of 36K. And I don't have it in the budget to go buy a $70,000 Jeep. Most Americans aren't going to do this. And then once again, if you stayed with the show, I still believe my theory holds true. I believe it's 100%. If you can't make an electric car that can go to the Grand Canyon, nobody's going to do it. Charging stations or not. If I can't do a cross-country trip, I'm not doing it. Electric cars are all great for liberals because they don't go anywhere and they stay 
in their little fucking goddamn city in New York, and they go to get their groceries at a fucking, what are those things called, bodega on the corner, and they don't drive anywhere. But just like all the COVID lies that we were all driving, ignoring the lockdown because we had to drive 20 miles one way to get groceries, most of us rural motherfuckers, it is not economical for me to get that car. I could go to Nashville and back safely. Average 270 miles on a charge. So if I have a buffer, it's 70 miles to Nashville. I drive around. I can't find a charging place because they're full. And it, we're not even going to go into now. You won't even be able to find a parking place because they'll all be charging. It'll be for important people. And you can go fuck yourself because you're evil because you drive a fucking gas car. And back. I couldn't have gone to Cookville. 150 miles away. I couldn't have. And if I did find a charging after he puts his 500,000 charging stations in, I'm going to have to sit for an hour to recharge the shit to get home. Nobody wants that. When the technology gets there, I'd be the first one to sign up for electric car. I'd do it. I'm not against that shit. I've said I, I fucking love subways. It was so cool just to have a pass when I lived in Korea. I went everywhere. No insurance, no nothing. But people don't live like that. But you're going to dictate how they are. Then we go to this fucking bullshit. And once again, just like the gay fucking colors on the cover, all this stuff just once again, he is not for unity. He's not about all Americans. He's about his base. It's so long past time Congress passed the U.S. Citizenship Act. Dreamers, farmers, workers, and TPS holders deserve path to citizenship. Today, POTUS will meet the lady and five other DACA recipients for highlight one of administration's high priorities, immigration. Congress must follow suit. Six undocumented Americans about to go into the West Wing to meet POTUS. That's a journalist. Because they love it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call an oxymoron. If you're undocumented, you're not an American but not to these people. And why are they in the White House? And then we get these backdoor articles. New York Times sells Biden's short fuse outbursts of profanity as a ceramic journey. In the paper, the headline is Beneath Folksy Demeanor, a Deliberative Biden. Beneath Joe Biden's folksy demeanor, a short fuse, an obsession with details. Michael Shear, Katie Rogers, Annie Ba, a portrait of a president with a short fuse who's obsessed with getting the details right, sometimes to a fault, including when he angers allies and adversaries alike by repeating, delaying uh, a decision on whether to allow more refugees into the United States. Oh, he's such a good leader. He's so folksy. Avoid Mr. Biden's ire during one of his decision-making seminars means not only being beyond the vague talking points that he will reject, but also steering clear responses laced with acronyms or too much policy minutia, which will prompt an outburst of frustration, often laced with profanity. They insist Biden never erupts into a fit of rage the way President Donald Trump did. He can't make up his mind even after hours or days of briefing. But hey, he's like so so Socrates. Some of the West Wing refer to it as his Socratic journey before arriving at a conclusion. Yet he stood up and said anybody that did that would be fired. That's the headline if it was Trump. Washington Post helping everyone understand how well things are going for the administration. An analyst, analyst, sorry, when everything is a crisis, maybe some of them aren't. 
Inflation is up. The stock market's down. Here's why you shouldn't panic. It's always the other side. It's always soft and peaceful. Good Biden, bad Trump. Good liberal, bad conservative. Representative Brian Mass. Earlier this week, Joe Biden announced the flags will be flown at half-staff tomorrow to honor the men and women in blue who died in the line of duty. Today, Friday's news dump that he changed his mind and his opinion. They aren't worthy of lowering the flags. Unacceptable. Um, he even, during the fucking speech, talked about Black Lives Matter on Peace Officers Day. So here's some media coddling, because they do love them some Biden. And then we're going to go into uh, short woke. You're trying to make a deal today in a room with Kevin McCarthy, where what he was doing before he came up here was expelling Liz Cheney from his leadership group for saying things like the election is over, as she said last night uh, on the House floor. And Kevin McCarthy is the same person who supported Liz Cheney just weeks ago. How can you accept whatever someone like Kevin McCarthy says today as something that you're actually going to legislate a few weeks from now or months from now? If a man looks me in the eye, gives me his word, that something's going to happen. I take it unless he breaks it. He may have broken his word to somebody else, but to me, has he made that deal? Has he made it? We, we're nowhere near having made a deal. We agreed that. We should try to get a bipartisan agreement. But the Liz Cheney McCarthy thing is above my pay grade. I mean, I, I have enough trouble figuring out my own party all the time, let alone the Republicans. Are you shocked that there's just at this point one member on the Republican side of the House who was willing to stand up last night and say things like the election is over? And if you don't believe in the outcomes in our courts, you are an anti-constitutionalist on the Republican side. That, that's, what, that's what her fight is on the Republican side of the House of Representatives. I think I heard... Kevin McCarthy say today, Biden's a duly elected president. He did. <laughs> this this um, is the experience I had working with you in the Senate. I have to let the audience in on this. I, we've known each other 25 years. And when we were working together in the Senate, what I always saw is you take the most positive thing someone says in your direction and try to work with that tomorrow. And you try to ignore anything that isn't part of what you're trying to work with tomorrow. Is that the way you're doing this job? As Pat Moynihan once said to me, Joe, I'm not sure you're Irish. You don't hold a grudge. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's right. From the former president's big lie blog posts to a fishy audit in Arizona, last year's U.S. election is still being screamed about. The GOP is erecting new barriers to voting in some states, and the newly ousted Liz Cheney is calling out her party for caving in to liars. She says Donald Trump is, uh, is very much willing to unravel the U.S. democracy to get back to power someday. And all of this news, all of it, has stoked partisan squabbling. But all of it is bigger than partisan politics. It's really about the future of America's democracy. That's why newsrooms need a democracy beat. As media critic Dan Frumkin wrote here, he used this phrase a few months ago, and so did Michael Calderon of Vanity Fair. He said the beat involves voter suppression, extremism, election disinformation, whew, It's quite a stew, a very newsworthy stew. 
and my next two guests know all about it. Jocelyn Benson is the Michigan Secretary of State, an elected Democrat, and a target of the so-called Stop the Steal protesters who were actually trying to steal the election. You may remember that armed protesters showed up at her house during Christmas time. Also with me is Ari Berman, senior reporter for Mother Jones and author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Jocelyn, thank you for coming on. I, you know, you're a former investigative journalist. You wrote this week for CNN.com about people you call democracy deniers. So are journalists doing enough to spotlight these democracy deniers? It's better, but we have to do more. I mean, I think it's clear that the attacks on democracy, the efforts to sow seeds of doubt among citizens about the reliability of their vote and the accuracy of the account have only escalated in the months following the certification uh, and of the election and, and even the inauguration. So we need more coverage, not less, because uh, they're counting on those democracy deniers are, are counting on us not paying attention in this moment and, and not paying attention to their effort to uh, build more barriers to the vote and make it easier for uh, for them to d continue to deny democracy in future elections. Hmm. Well, Ari, I feel like you're on the democracy beat. You've been on it. Forty percent believe that Bill Gates is trying to control them uh, by implanting microchips in their brain. I think something like a third of Republicans still believe that Barack Obama was born in Kenya, not the United States. Um, and the question you have to ask is why why this angle, why this kind of apocalyptic view that the, that the world is collapsing, going away, American civilization is on the brink. And part of what I try to uh, describe in this, in this documentary is the origins, the roots of this, because it goes back very deep. Republican leaders have been playing games with their followers for a long time, and they have planted the seeds of this kind of conspiracy theory, distrust of authority, distrust of other Republicans who are viewed as moderates. And when you create that much, uh, you know, the, the, that fertile ground, and then you throw in a man like Donald Trump, the first Republican leader truly to be entirely unconcerned with what, whether what he says is fact or fiction, truth or lie, it turns out it sticks. It sticks big time. And for it, then there's the media. And I don't mean the news media. I mean the media. There are obviously some networks that try to pass themselves off as news, but they are not. I mean, they've strayed from that. And in fact, um, they peddle this propaganda. And last night on Fox TV, Liz Cheney called them out. So let me play that for you. Fox News especially, especially Fox News, has a particular obligation to make sure people know the election wasn't stolen. Every single one of us, everyone watching this show, everybody who works at Fox, everybody who's elected uh, to office, all of us have to love our country more. But of course, that's not what Fox has told their viewers for large chunks of the evening. Um, what have you found out about the impact that's had? Well, there's no question that this disaggregation of media has allowed people to kind of choose their news rather than listen to broadly uh, fact-based or more objective reporting. And yeah, Fox is essentially a propaganda arm. And it's not even a propaganda arm of the Republican Party. That's not the way to think about it. It is a propaganda arm of the most extreme wing of the Republican Party. It is, you know, the television version of Twitter for the Republican Party, the most extreme, the most passionate, the most energized. But again, the most important thing here is that these people believe 
that it is more important to fight than to be right. It is more important to hate the enemy than love the truth. That's the part where it has gotten unhinged. I think we should understand, look, it's okay to be partisan. It's okay to be polemical if you have ideas you believe in, but they cannot come at the cost of. You've made statements since January 6th. You fist bumped President Biden at the joint address to Congress. Do you think there was a last straw where you lost the support of your Republican colleagues? Do you think there were members of Congress who were complicit in the attack and that a commission could uncover that? One of the things that your critics say is instead of talking about President Biden, we're talking about Liz Cheney, that that is really at the heart of what this vote is about and why they want you out of leadership. Look, I've been very clear that I think President Biden's policies are dangerous. You know, every single day I'm fighting against those policies and we'll continue to do that. My view is to be as effective as we can be to fight against those things, our party has to be based on truth. To be a leader in the Republican Party right now, do you have to buy the lie? Are you the leader of the opposition in exile right now in the Republican Party? A lot of people frame this as a battle for the soul of the Republican Party. If Belonging to the Republican Party requires you to believe that the election was fraudulent and that President Trump is the, the rightful winner. Would you ever consider leaving the Republican Party and becoming an independent? Here you are, the top female in leadership in the House. Do you see sexism in anything that has gone on here? So one woman against the Republican Party and Donald Trump. How does that strike you? I mean, after all the deaths, the police deaths and all the things that went down, people going to jail because of this, you think they'll continue to buy it or you think people will start to say, well, wait a minute. Well, this happened four months ago, and we've been talking about it for four months, and I've made my perspective on this absolutely crystal clear. Uh, I think it's horrific. Uh, you know, I don't believe the big lie. We've talked about Liz Cheney at length. But... When Joy says friends of hers are frightened, friends of mine are frightened as well. I had to have a conversation with my executive producer yesterday about whether or not I'm going to be able to find gas in my car because the lines at gas stations near where I live are down the street or there's just no gas whatsoever. I'm privileged. I work at a company that's going to figure out a way for me to get to work. What about the average American? Do you know what's also a strategy, Sarah? A strategy is not focusing on anything the Biden administration is doing right now that is leading this country into crisis. There's a crisis at the border, inflation rates are sky high, the Middle East is on fire, unemployment is crazy, and a lot of Americans can't figure out how they're going to get gas in their car. These are real problems. It's like the 70s all over again. So I think there's a strategy going on that the media doesn't want to focus on anything bad happening in the Biden administration. And I implore everyone who works in this industry, just because Trump was so bad doesn't mean this is good. It's what they do. It's all what they do. It's non-fucking-stop. We gotta have an a, a evil one. The more you keep Liz Cheney in the news, the better it is for the Dems, because they just don't want to talk about anything. That I mean, McCain's spot on. Every day on CNN or MSNBC, you're going to have that lame-ass interview with Biden. You're going to have fucking Chester the fucking Tater over there talking about how bad Fox News is and Fox News and Fox News fucking Fox News and Fox News and Fox News and Fox News. News. Well, they don't cover anything. They're sitting in D.C.
And then when you do cover it, Mona Sharon, the editorial soul by Ugly Lion, but if she becomes the pet rock and the Lincoln Project and watch the post, she'll quickly lose whatever influence she has on the GOP. Do better. Everybody's like, that's the most accurate line there is on Liz Cheney. Katie Pavlage, or Dinesh D'Souza, excuse me. In trying to settle a vendetta with Trump, Liz Cheney commits career suicide. Anybody who looks at it objectively knows she just went too far. Jake Sherman, more importantly, Cheney isn't going to shut up. He's going to continue to speak out against Trump, what the Republican Party has become. This could be more damaging to the GOP. Now Cheney will... Oh, McCarthy, Scalise, nothing. You know what they say, better to have someone pissing in the tent than one out of the tent. Cheney's officially out. Britt Hume, the full saying from LBJ on J. Edgar Hoover was that it was better to have him inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in. House Republicans' gripe with Cheney is that she's been inside the tent pissing forever. And while they're talking about the, the evil Trump... Soros and Weisbach Dark Money Group boost un-American HR1 election bill. Every time you turn around, their money is there. And then when they find bad news on Biden, NBC News, some migrant children stuck overnight on park buses before going to family or sponsor, says the advocate. Do you know how that would have read under Trump? Gripping fucking babies out of mother's wombs? Wombs, not bosoms. Wombs. Liz Cheney, Mediaite, covers this interview with Brett Baer, who actually he grilled her. Like, what the fuck? Got it. But why can't you move on and be a Republican? And she can't do it. You have a particular obligation to ensure people know the election wasn't, wasn't stolen. She attacks Fox News. Who does that? Liberals. Liz Cheney showed exactly why she was booted from the House leadership last night, because then she went straight to MSDNC, and everybody, Molly Hemoy. Tonight, Cheney attempted to downplay how key she was to spreading the false Afghanistan body info op, and Russiagate, and everything liberals were doing. Once again, it's exposure therapy. These never-Trumpers couldn't stay objective. USA Today Deputy Editor. After ousting Liz Cheney, Republicans proved they're bigger threat than the 9-11 hijackers. That's an actual article. An article in the USA Today. And what about the Lincoln Project, who the media still hasn't gotten rid of, even though they're molesters, gay molesters? Uh, I'm just going to play this. We're at our best when we're all moving in the same direction. We must love America so much that we will stand above politics to defend her. I've always liked him. I think he's an extraordinary American. We can find a way to bridge the gap and start listening to each other. We're the best when we molest gay young men. And you see, they that, that those are Republicans. That's what Republicans are. The, the principal con- 
Republicans. I mean, the fact of the matter is the Republican Party is not the Republican Party anymore. It is a populist party. It isn't these principled people that sit and talk off their nose to everybody about what it means to be conservative and how we need to work with the Democrats and cede everything we believe and ignore our voter base because we just don't like them because they're dirty people. Those dirty, filthy, rotten commoners. Mm. Mm. I had a million WAPO articles. I'm, Biden's America. Democrats see competence. Republicans see chaos. And then the whole article. Black, brown, and extremists across far-right spectrum. People are color play a more visible role. Mm. And they're basically it's Trump's fault in that article. Child cash benefits will begin hitting millions of parents' banks account July 15th. There you are. Free, free, free. Free. It's all about the free. Ah, 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 ah. Which brings me to the woke. This just hurts my pancreas. I don't even know where my pancreas is, but I know it hurts. This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again. But she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet. Eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I'm U.S. Army Corporal Emma Malone Lord, and I answered my calling. Это первый день твоей новой жизни. То, что было вчера, не имеет значения. То, кем ты был прежде, уже никого не волнует. Теперь важно то, кем ты будешь сегодня. Что ты знаешь о себе? На что ты способен? Вопросы могут остаться без ответов, но разве ты сможешь потом спокойно спать? Узнать тебя, познать границы своих возможностей. К черту границы! Ты готов ломать себя до изнеможения? Каждый день здесь боль закаляет. Шрамы, повседневность. Это ты решил себе что-то доказать. Командир здесь только для того, чтобы ты мог увидеть в нем врага. Потому что без врага нет боя, а без боя нет победы. Но на 
самом деле. Главный враг — это ты. Вчерашний ты. Твоя задача — выследить врага, догнать его, превзойти, стать лучше, чем он, и вернуться назад победителем. Потому что завтра первый день твоей ночи. That's how you get that. That was a Russian video and our new animated woke video. U.S. versus Russia. Watch these two military recruitment videos and you'll quickly see we're so screwed. We're just screwed. The Colombian bugle. We're just fucking screwed. Responses to this gay recruiting video. Woke. First it was the woke CIA, now it's super woke animated army recruitment featuring a lesbian wedding, an LGBT rights parade, and women shattering stereotypes by joining the world's largest killing machine. Oh, really? Army secretary nominee worries that ACFT will push too many women out because they can't pass it. 29% of kids today are eligible to serve Either for the physically being obese, like looking like me, or, well, that picture really blocks. Well, that's probably better for you guys. You see less of me. That actually kind of works, doesn't it? Um, either because they're obese or because of criminal records, autism, and all the other reasons you can't join the military. Other than, I don't know what my sex is. Can you give me a free dick change? I want it to be a vagina. Those are the facts. Sorry about that. I know facts get in the way of the agenda. Brandon Moore, compare a new woke U.S. Army ad to Russian Army ad and pray for the West. This should scare you and not in the way SJWs would laugh about. This is our military, the thing that stands between Western world and actual evil, showing off how far it strayed from being an effective war fighting and to the move more and more towards a political activist organization. It inspires no patriotism, no sense of pride in being an American. It doesn't even give a reason to fight for it beyond a selfish need to break barriers and change things within it, except for the ACFT because the PT test is too hard. So we're just going to change all the standards. You can be out of shape as a woman. No, that makes sense. There'll be more guys that'll turn tranny. It'll be good for them to vote Democrat. That's all it's about. Here's the thing. While the woke are breaking barriers within our military to make it more politically correct, Sergi and his fellow soldiers are out there actually breaking the enemy. They have no identity crisis. They know exactly what they are and what they need to do. The West will from external force because the United States allowed its military to fall from internal forces. We sacrifice duty, skill, and willingness to really shed the blood of our enemies in order to keep up with modern political trends. Our enemies aren't so stupid. Just to be absolutely clear, our modern Modern political trends are filled with things for our enemies torture and kill people for. You think woke politics will give you, save you from ideologies that kill people for being gay, trans, or even the wrong race? How many times have I said it? Our enemies toss gay people off roofs. We misgender and we're a fucking Nazi. You think our enemies support woke politics because they agree? No, they fuel that fire because it weakens us. They want feminism to take over the military because driving masculinity out makes it easier for us to be defeated. We're so spoiled to our first world lives, we think we're going to be okay, but the truth is that we're safe because deadlier and more brutal men than us kept us that way, and now we spit on them, called them toxic, and told them to leave their post. Now we're replacing soldiers with political activists and putting them in military garb. They aren't war fighters or self-obsessed 
access to denitarians playing dress up. Meanwhile, our enemies are training deadly killers and laughing at us. You can scoff at my sexism or phobia all you want on this subject, but if the worst comes to pass, you can damn you can damn well bet the people you handed the U.S. to are going to shrug at your accusations while they heard you in front of the firing line and literally blame Trump. Pentagon to spy on military for concerning behaviors online. It's another one of those stories. It has not. If this is Garrison, who's designed this program, was already made infamous reporting purging the military. Former President Donald Trump supporters, Fox News primetime host Pete Hegstead said about Garrison and the purge. This, my friends, is a purge. A purge of the Defense Department led by a new and now powerful radical leftism. They are going to go after you. The military plans to surveil troops' personal social media accounts for extremist words. Per internal briefing I obtained, the Intercept investigating reporting Ken Flippenstein wrote in May 17th tweet, the tweet shared a harrowing article about the military. An extremism steering committee led by Bishop Garrison, a senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense, is currently designing the social media screening plot program, which will continuously monitor military personnel for concerning behaviors. The Intercept reported in May 17th, the new surveillance program will attempt to work around protections from the government overreach by relying on a private surveillance firm in order to circumvent First Amendment restrictions on government monitoring. The House Armed Service Committee downplayed the program's intent to reach suggesting it would be used as a tool for ongoing surveillance of all men and women in uniform. The committee did make a key admission that the program could have dystopian implications. That said, Secretary Austin has been clear about his intention to understand to what extent extremism exists in the force and its effect on good order and discipline. We look forward to hearing the results of the stand-down and the department plan to move forward. Yeah. That that's good. It's already started. Space Force CEO who got holiday call from Trump fired over comments decrying Marxism in the media. And he said that he's starting to see Marxist stuff come out of the Department of Defense and the new DOD guy. Now he fucked up because you can't say that shit as an officer. You can't talk about the Defense Department head because he outranks you, but yeah, yeah. So we're going to read one today from Bishop. Where are we at? Um, Sorry, I'm white. Sorry, I'm male. (laughs) That's funny. Some guy's flogging himself. All right, so um, today's tweet. Bishop Garrison. August 30th, 2018. To be clear, monkey this up is not now, nor has it ever been a colloquialism, just opposed with articulate and describing an educated and fluent black man in America. It was absolutely racist to defend the statement is defend racism. DeSantis. Claff trap. To accuse someone of some form of ism and to proclaim that their denial or any attempt they make to defend themselves is proof that they are guilty, a favorite tactic of social justice warrior. Your refusal to admit that you're a misogynist proves you're a misogynist. Bishop Garrison, please don't be afraid to say racist. His tweets were racist. Trump tweets nativist attack on female Democrat by calling him jihadist. Hmm. Yeah. This is going to work out great. 
Oh, you never Trumpers going to feel so much happy because Trump's he had his finger on the missiles, and he mean tweeted. You can't have a person like that around that stuff. We can't, even though he didn't start a war and he tried to stop Afghanistan before it was okay to stop Afghanistan because Liz Cheney wanted Afghanistan to stop, I guess now or whatever, whatever Liz Cheney wants because she's really in charge of the Republican Party. Nobody else is. I mean, if you look at the media, that's what they're saying. Sorry, I take my prowl a sec. Today, for lunch, is an MRE. Yeah. Maple sausage and hash browns. Delicious! But there's hope in all this woke. There's so much hope. And it starts with this article. Nonprofit group unveils new series of ads targeting woke corporations like American Airlines, Nike, and Coca-Cola. American Airlines rated the worst, losing the most bags, shrinking legroom during COVID. American requires passengers to show ID to fly, but attacks Texas's popular voter ID law. Why is CEO Doug Parker trying to appease the radical left to distract from billions in taxpayer bailouts, from his $10 million payday, from Americans' record layoffs? Doug Parker, American Airlines, serve your customers, not woke politicians. Consumer research. We're putting corporations on notice. It's time to start serving your customers and stop serving woke. Why is American Airlines appeasing radical politicians distract from CEO's 10 million payday despite laying off thousands of workers and receiving a multi-million dollar bailout from taxpayers the same year? We're putting them on notice. Why is Nike consistently political to give them cover while they exploit foreign labor in communist China? Why is Coca-Cola... I love this group. Here's the Nike and Coca-Cola. Nike is constantly political. Why? Cover. Congressional reports suspect Nike used forced labor in China. Religious minorities were ripped from their families, sterilized, sold to factories. Nike made shoes in those same areas. Congress tried to ban Nike's labor practices. Nike fought back with highly paid lobbyists. Rather than hiring Americans, Nike chose China. John Donahoe, Nike. Stop exploiting foreign labor. Serve your customers, not woke politicians. Coca-Cola is getting political, attacking Georgia's popular voting law. Why? To distract from years of dismal sales, terrible 2020 results, reports suspecting they benefited from forced labor in China. Coca-Cola products are poisoning America's youth and worsening the obesity epidemic. So the company tried funding phony science to minimize the harms, but they got busted. James Quincy, Coca-Cola. Stop poisoning our children. Serve your customers, not woke politicians. Good on them. Trying to adjust this thing, but it, it even if I make it smaller, whatever. So there we go. I wanted to ban I'm trying to work on a border, and I just haven't got to them. We need more people like that and less douchebags. So let's do This is America, and Supreme Court's going to look at a abortion law. I think it's Mississippi. And per usual, our media lost their shit. All right, here is a bolo. Be on the lookout. We're about to see if Mitch McConnell's Supreme Court mission pays off. It's now a six to three decidedly conservative court. And it now says the Supreme Court of the United States that it will hear a case that could remove a woman's right to control her own body. Dobbs v. Jackson, Mississippi Women's Health Organization. 
It tests a state law that bans almost all efforts to end a pregnancy after 15 weeks, including pregnancies resulting from incest or rape. Legally, the issue is fetal viability. When does what is inside a woman become a person with rights under the law? You would think we would have impaneled experts on a special commission by now to see what the science says, right? But we don't seem to have the intellectual curiosity about this issue because it's not really about science. It has become a culture war. It's a political lever to use as a distraction from policy and solving problems to allow people to get up in their religion and their righteousness over any sense of what science suggests. Though medical capabilities may be moving the point of viability well short of what it was assumed to be in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. So you'd think some of the proponents of harsher measures would want the science involved. Most Americans want the court to uphold Roe v. Wade, which found women have liberty over their own body as a right to privacy, a privacy right under the 14th Amendment. 62 uphold, 24 overturned. But again, it's not about science or consensus. It's about dividing lines, legislating to the far right, white fright vote, flooding the zone with 536 bills that abridge a woman's right to control her own body in 46 states. It's just like voting rights in one way. You see, it seems like the far right only cares about protecting humans before they are born. But the legal issues are much closer than the politics on this. 1973, Roe was a 7-2 decision. Reading Rehnquist's dissent is actually worth your time, especially given that this Dobbs case is coming. Especially also because, you know, Roe is not inviolate. Yes, it's star A decisis, but that is subject to when they decide to overturn it. Claire McCaskill, you and I co uh sort of talked our way through the confirmation of um, at least the last two uh, Trump appointees. This was Trump's goal. And just the decision to take up this case really strikes fear in the hearts of everyone who cares about this issue, which if you look at polls is about 65% of Americans that support reproductive freedoms. Yeah, this um, may end up being the situation that is often described as the dog catching the bus. And what happens in America in terms of the political climate if, in fact, this court overturns decades of precedent and fails to protect women's reproductive freedoms um, via this Mississippi case? And, you know, I got to tell you, Nicole, I don't think younger voters remember what it was like before Roe v. Wade. I don't think they realize that these folks are not going to be happy until a rape victim is put in prison for taking the morning after pill. Uh, that's the road they're going down. That's Supreme Court showdown reaction pours in after the nation's highest court agrees to hear a major challenge to abortion rights. Some saying it could mark the beginning of a new phase for the now conservative leaning court. And it comes before one of the most conservative lineups of justices in decades. Supporters of abortion rights say it's an ominous sign. Supreme Court showdown. The justice is set to hear the most important abortion case in decades, the first one for the court's new conservative majority. The new conservative majority set to hear a major case on abortion rights, 
that is a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. This is a big one. It's the most important challenge to abortion rights at this court in decades. President Trump transformed this court, shifting it rightward, naming three staunch conservatives. Already, this case is striking fear among abortion advocates and raising hope among abortion opponents. It's similar to Vans recently passed in other conservative-leaning states, all with an eye on getting the newly conservative Supreme Court to reconsider Roe. Conservatives have what could be the most solid majority in modern history, with three justices appointed by President Trump. This is a different case and a much more conservative court. They always lie jailing somebody for taking a morning after pill. That's not what people want. This is a reaction to your live birth abortion in the Northeast in Virginia. Will you believe Roe v. Wade gives you the right to have a baby come out of the womb and go, and eh, don't like the eyes, let it fucking die, because the mother didn't want it. This is a response to you saying it's okay to kill a baby in the third trimester. Yes, 60% of America believe you shouldn't ban abortion, but they also believe at 70% that you shouldn't kill a baby in the third trimester, and at 74% that you shouldn't finance it with the federal government, which we're doing through Planned Parenthood for chemical abortions. We're doing it. But the media is not going to say that. They're just going to do an agenda. They're going to say Trump as many fucking times as they could fucking possibly say it because they're hoping it'll improve the ratings because their ratings are a gigantic mother fucking garbage fire. Garbage fire. They're tanking. People are done hearing how great dude is, but we can't find gas can't find gas everything costs more so more to follow on this but it's just so amazing when they take guns away you don't see the protesters you don't get interviews of people if they finally get their confiscation of ARs there'll be no OU it'll be this is the greatest thing ever. Joe Biden saving America and saving lives. So I have this cool thing. My sister sent it, and then I found it. Forgot I'd found it. And I want to do a quick military zen before we close up today because these new NVGs are the bomb. a way better video but i'm trying to convert it and this program just doesn't like it but that outline thing is way cool i mean that that's some cool ass shit 
Um, way cool shit. So what did we learn today? We learned that nothing's really changed with our media, which is the purpose of this podcast. You stumbled along upon it. Um, we have a problem. We just don't talk about facts. We talk about narrative. And if it can promote the Democratic Party, we're going to do it. If we pr- promote their ideals. And if you've learned anything listening to the 540 some odd podcast that I've done since 2016, our media is so bubbled, they don't understand the majority of Americans aren't stupid, and they know Hamas started this, and they know that Biden financed it by giving money to Hamas and Iran, and that's why they started lobbing rockets. They know these things. And they know that Tlaib, Omar, Bush, and AOC are extremists. MTG might be a nut job, but she's not an anti-Semite racist, even though you can't tell because it's portrayed the opposite. We know that we've gone through a crisis of monetary means. For the majority of Americans, they're having a hard time making ends meet. The crisis isn't over. But he's already gone ahead saying, well, he's going to change the whole financial system to benefit Democrats and push green cars that people can't afford. We understand the left still doesn't understand the difference between violence and trespassing. Once again, you January 6th, it's, we want the commission and stuff. Man, you really were asleep this summer. Because some tussling with some police in a few instances is nothing like what was happening all summer that was being financed by the media, by the vice president for getting people out, and by corporations as they were looting, burning, and murdering, and stabbing people all over the fucking place. And they're all free to go. Biden waved it. They're, they're good. We see that. And then more importantly, with the mass mandates, because I won't go point by point, it shows you what it was always about. Control, telling you how to live your life, using it to beat you as a cudgel if you do not think like them. And now, the after effect of what all of us who had common sense and are adults and aren't looking at everything from the perspective of how can I uh, bash my enemies, we have a mental health problem in this country to the point where people are scared. I live with one. I will remove my mask on June 8th. She will not. Because all you've heard from the media and the Democrats is this, that, and the other thing. And then you got conservatives talking about, well, there are after effects and people are dying and getting sick. Everybody's confused. And I had one more I wanted to play. So I think this... These two sound bites, I'm going to go back to sound bites of the day or something. They're just perfect.
Well, until now, we've had to guess about that. But tonight, we're hearing firsthand from a 10-year-old. His name is John Provenzano. He lives in Martin County, Florida. He spoke the other day at a school board meeting to describe what being forced to wear a mask has done to his life. Watch. I love my school and all, but my teachers seem really stressed, and that makes me feel bad. One teacher walks around with a clipboard full of referrals for any student whose mask isn't on properly. It makes me feel scared. That same teacher yells at us having our masks down to drink water while we are outside in Carline. She told us we had to wait until we were in our parents' car to have a drink of water. She had her mask down the entire time while she was yelling at us, which makes me and all my friends very mad. This happens a lot. And it seems unfair teachers take their masks off while they're yell while well, they yell at us kids and that we need to pull ours up my mask also sticks to my face when it's really hot and it makes it hard to breathe i feel like i can't catch my breath and that makes me feel claustrophobic and anxious it's really stressful i finished taking all of my fsas and i had a hard time focusing with a mask on a few weeks ago i ran into my teacher outside of school she didn't even recognize me because she's never seen my face before but I knew it was her because she sits at her desk a lot without a mask on. I know my teacher has asthma and everything, but I understand why it's hard for her to wear a mask. And I think she should have that choice. But I should too. I have allergies and I feel really anxious with my face covered. But I'm not allowed a mask break like her. It seems unfair. All this seems unfair and it doesn't make sense. I miss seeing people's face. I miss the way things used to be. I'm scared they'll never go back to normal. Breathing freely doesn't seem like something we should have to ask any other people for permission for. We don't put a lot of children on this show, any actually, but John Provenzano seemed like an extraordinary 10-year-old, and so we are happy to be joined by him tonight along with his father, Mike. Thanks both coming on tonight. I appreciate it. You're brave, you're, you're brave to do it, and we're the beneficiaries of it. Um, John, I want to ask you first, you, you said that wearing a mask makes you feel anxious. Can t Tell us what, what you do feel like when you have to wear it at school. Well, when I have to wear it at school, it it almost like builds up stress in, it's me, in me. I'm like, wait, what do, what do I do? It's like, who's this, who's that? It's like, I don't recognize anybody. Really. Right. And you said you said later in your in your talk, and we didn't play it, but it was I thought the most poignant part. You said you saw one of your teachers outside of school, and she didn't recognize you. She didn't know what you look like. Yeah. Exactly, because we're stuck in a classroom while wearing a mask for seven hours a day. So she's actually never seen me or any of my classmates' faces before. So when I uh, I couldn't get the other one. My wife watches The Five, and I forgot to download it, but Jesse Waters did a meltdown that was so good because it covered everything that you're going through. If you're a normal middle of American person from gas, deflation, fucking, you're a fucking racist, your kids can't go to school, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, getting canceled, saying the wrong things. We're to a point where we're in this country, if you're just normal, if you're not latched to one of these political parties, which may sound, my voice may make it sound like I am, but I'm not. I hate them. But I need one to defend me because the other one's extreme. Man, it is just shit. Nothing improves. 
Spain and Morocco. But no, we're talking about a $71,000 truck that nobody wants. People didn't want the aluminum Ford. They want a truck. It's an icon. It's a classic. He did his speech yesterday in front of a gorgeous 60s or 50s version. I watch Meekum all the time. Those things go for $40,000, $50,000 if they have a fucking Corvette issue. It's way more money. They're icons. But we spent four years, pile, that Mr. Mean Tweet was a piece of shit. And in four months, we have wars, gas shortages, everything costs more. And all they care about is spending more money to make it all worse and giving kickbacks to the people. If a Republican did his speech yesterday and jerked off Rashida Tlaib, MTG, they say is the equivalence, and talked about all the kickbacks and what he was really doing, which is setting up Ford and GM to get a bunch of government contracts and a bunch of money and then bribing people with billions of dollars to buy the fucking car they're not going to want because 20% of the people don't keep the cars that you're going to have to replace the batteries within six years and that's ten grand. My God, it was just money laundering. It is like Trump going to the NRA convention. That's what we saw yesterday, but at no time did anyone point it out. People who couldn't get gas wouldn't talk about it on TV. And when they did, like the black lady on CNN, she was overridden by woke liberals. No, 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 don't look over there. There's nothing wrong. No, 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 don't look at the border. There's nothing wrong. No, 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 no. We don't even report shit about the border. We don't do anything. We just say he's a great guy. And the saddest part is conservatives, the Liz Cheney part of our country, just go along with it. We want to talk about January 6th, not the violence still happening on our streets. We want to talk about January 6th, the big lie, but we supported the big lie for four years that uh, Russia took the election. We want to talk about Russia while Biden allows them to have a pipeline. And the excuse is, Trump ruined the relationship with Germany. I miss that. That's what the media is saying. I just want gas. I don't want to spend more money. I'm on a fixed income. There are no jobs where I live because people went back to work. I can get a job fucking flipping burgers. That's as far as it goes. And every day they get on TV and they push liberal polls saying everything's great. The American people think we're going in the right direction. And then you look at the inlays and it's all independents, Democrats, very few conservatives in blue states. Yeah. If I lived in a blue state right now, things are pretty good because you've got a lot of money coming your way. It's all kickbacks. Now, you could hate hated Trump all you wanted. He didn't owe anybody anything when he went in there. He paid for his shit. And his policies, as we're seeing, were pretty fucking good because the economy was good and motherfuckers weren't killing each other on the Gaza Strip. But yeah, Pasaki, run with that lie that there was nothing done there. They're still butthurt because he moved the embassy. That's all it's about.
all it's about. So, this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com to get audio and video, the last two. And then every other one you can get on the link for Rumble and, well, Rumble, I care about seven episodes. And SoundCloud got, has everything. We're going to go to the next podcast, probably 22 May, year of our Lord, 2021. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. If you're looking on Twitter, I have changed my Twitter. I realized I was becoming like everybody else on the Twitter. Likes, doing a lot of NASCAR stuff and research. Find, and I wouldn't get likes. And I had a night where I couldn't sleep because I'm in so much pain because I hurt my back. And I'm thinking nobody likes me. Tweet. I was becoming that person that was living on the likes. So I scrubbed it. It's just fop Tony Reed now. It's got a picture of an army dude and a picture of the lake. I'm going to post episodes of the podcast, but as much as possible, I'm not really going to do a whole lot of tweeting because I caught myself doing it. We really got to give these things up. This is the devil. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody, and you take care.